folks. My name is Kim and this is The Contemporary Educator, a podcast dedicated to all of my fellow teachers out there who are trying to figure out how to balance all of the demands placed on The Contemporary Educator. And uh, we all know that that's quite a few demands these days. So I'd like to get started just by doing a territory acknowledgement. I live in what is now known as Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, but it is on the unceded traditional territories of the Lekwungen peoples and the Esquimalt and Songhees nations. And I feel really privileged and, and grateful to be able to live, learn, and play on these lands. So why do I start with the territory acknowledgement? Well, first of all, it's literally the least that we can do as settlers um, to native lands to acknowledge that this land was taken and it's you know one small way in which we can start to decolonize our classrooms and one small way in which we can start to acknowledge our privilege as settlers on this land and start to work on reconciliation so if you're wondering why or how you can start to work on reconciliation in your own classrooms this is kind of a first step certainly not all the work that needs to be done but um, kind of a good starting place for those of you who are unsure how to start otherwise figure out what territory you're on, particularly if you're in North America or another colonized country, um, start to figure out what territory you're on, whose land is it that you're actually learning on, working on, um, living on, and figure out how you can start to work on reconciliation within your particular territory. I also want to let you guys know a little bit about me and why I'm doing this. My name is Kim, like I said, and I am a teacher and uh, I have been a teacher now for the past 10 years. I've worked with all demographics of young people. I started out in a mainstream classroom where I did my practicum. And then when I came back to Victoria, after living in Vancouver for a while, I started working with youth in custody and um, providing education for um, incarcerated young people. I then went on and got a master's degree and focused on counseling psychology. It's not an MED, it's a master's in counseling psychology. So I worked on a high-risk team working with young people who are experiencing suicidal ideation and other moderate to severe mental health issues. Most of those were connected to anxiety and depression. And then I went on to work in addictions, both inpatient and outpatient treatment. Now I work at a mainstream school, but it's an inner city school. So I work with all the same students in uh, what would be considered a mainstream type of classroom. I teach theater and I teach English and uh, my counseling background has been a huge support in how I have approached teaching, how I have approached developing relationship and bonding with students and it's been a huge asset for me. So I don't expect that everybody out there has a a master's or an MA in counseling or that they even care to pursue anything like that but I can acknowledge that most folks have really diverse learners in their classrooms. Chances are you have a lot of young people in your classroom struggling with mental health. Chances are you have young people in your classrooms who are struggling with trauma, who are struggling just in general and It seems to not be getting any better from year to year. It seems to be getting uh, more and more prolific every year and that young people are struggling more and more every year. So what I'm hoping to do with this podcast and my affiliated blog, The Contemporary Educator blog and The Contemporary Educator on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and follow. What I'm hoping to do is just kind of give some tips and tricks and ways that I have found to best build relationship with young people, how to make sure that they feel supported, nurtured, and cared for in their classroom, and how I do all of that while still being able to provide curriculum. 
because it's no easy feat, you know, as an educator to be told, okay, well, this is the curriculum that you need to provide. You need to stick to that curriculum, but it's certainly not just about curriculum. And we all know that, but it can feel really, really daunting to also think, okay, well, now I have to nurture this young person's social emotional development. How am I supposed to do that while also teaching science? Um, so my hope is that by the end of every podcast and every uh, YouTube episode, and if you're following my blog as well, you're going to get some really helpful tips on how to best build relationship and how to actually make your job a lot easier because your job's going to be that much more enjoyable if you can enjoy the students and the students enjoy you. For some people, it comes really naturally building relationship. It's something that's just instinctual. For other folks, it takes a little bit more work, but you know, either way, it's going to hopefully give you some opportunity to reflect on your own practices and incorporate some new ones if if you're needing to do that. I'm also hoping that this will be a helpful podcast for new teachers who are just starting out, particularly those who are, you know, substitute teaching or TOCing where you literally have to build relationship within the first five minutes or you don't have a leg to stand on for the next hour and a half or longer if you're in elementary or middle school. And um, force, you know, more experienced educators who are just looking to revamp their manner with their students and uh, reconsider how they might want to approach education given these new demands that are being placed on educators every year. Also, just kind of looking to use this as a way to process my own experience as an educator and as a mental health worker and how, how I've been able to marry those two things. I can do that without burning myself out and how I can do that without struggling with boundary setting and uh, maintaining my own boundaries around what's healthy and right for me as an educator. So anyways, that in a nutshell is what I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast. And I think I'm going to just kind of start off with a bit of a story here. In starting this podcast, I was kind of brought back to my practicum, which was a a great experience for me. I had fantastic mentor teachers. I was really, really fortunate, but it was also really, really challenging. And part of that was because you get all of this advice and you're told all of these different ways in which you should be with the class. And you do classes on classroom management beforehand and you do theory and you do, you know, unit planning and and methodology courses. And so you think you're going in feeling really prepared. And I did, just like every young teacher thinking, I'm young, I'm enthusiastic, and that's all it takes. And that's definitely not all it takes. And I walked into a classroom, um, a theater classroom, where they absolutely loved their previous theater teacher, my mentor teacher. So they were all coming in thinking, this is going to be my teacher. He's the best and I can't wait. And uh, then they're confronted with this, you know, young person who uh, says, I'm going to be your teacher, actually. And very little experience, really naive. And all of a sudden, you're just faced with this, like, overwhelming sense of disappointment from all of your students because you're thinking, oh my God, they don't actually want me. They don't think I'm cool. Um, They don't care what I have to say and they think I don't know anything. And the worst part of all of that is they're right. I don't know anything. You're brought into this class and you're trying out all of these different strategies. And the first thing that I think probably most brand new teachers do is they try to do the same thing as their mentor teacher. And so when I came in, that was the first thing that I did. I'm faced with these 25 grade 10 drama students and uh, my mentor teacher, who was amazing, was very strict and very clear with his expectations and didn't really put up with any funny business. So I really tried to be that as well. And when I first started, another teacher had said to me, okay, you're starting a practicum. Don't smile for 30 days. What? I'm a smiler. I'm not supposed to smile for 30 days. No, smiling is a sign of weakness. They're going to see it on you and they're going to eat you alive. 
Okay, great. Good advice. No smiling for 30 days. Be really strict. Be really clear with boundaries. Be really clear with expectations. Otherwise, they're going to eat me alive. So I did all of those things. I came in. I was really firm. And believe it or not, they ate me alive. And it was, you know, really quickly where I felt like I had completely lost control. And again, I was so lucky with the mentor teacher that I had because he didn't uh, fault me for any of that. He just helped guide me into who I wanted to be as a teacher. And that was one of the things that he kept saying. Well, you're not me. That doesn't seem authentic. When you're out there doing what I do, that doesn't seem to fit for you. What What's your instinct tell you to do? And I said, well, my instinct is to not care that they're goofing off a little bit. And he says, okay, let them goof off a little bit. See how that goes. And as soon as I started to do that, as soon as I started to be more flexible and relaxed in my approach, all of a sudden there started to be a shift. And I realized it had nothing to do with me being more flexible. It had to do with me being more authentically me and being able to embrace who I actually am. And it's taken me a number of years, but I'm finally now at the point in my career where I am authentically myself in front of the class. And so who you see when we meet for coffee, if you're my friend, or who the students see when I come into the classroom is pretty much the same. Um, of course, there's different filters that you put on because there's things that are and are not appropriate to share with your class. And of course, there's different ways in being with your students that are and are not appropriate. But predominantly, I am myself. And as soon as I was able to embrace that and um, be completely and authentically myself, I started to notice a real shift with my students. And so one of the skills that I bring is I'm okay being really flexible. I'm okay having a sense of humor. I don't mind if the students make fun of me because I can make fun of myself. And I'm okay using sarcasm and, and joking with students. And I'm okay with them doing that back to me. Now, that doesn't mean that that's what's going to work for everyone. Like I said, my mentor teacher, he was very strict and very firm. He also had a great sense of humor. So I think that that helped. But being strict and firm and... and having those really clear and deliberate expectations is what really worked for him. What I found, particularly the more that I worked with Youth at Risk, is that the more I was flexible, the more students not only met but exceeded the expectations I didn't even have to set. And so that was a really big deal for me and a really big shift for me. Once I was able to actually authentically and wholly be myself, it made a huge difference. Um... Another example of this is when I started working at the custody center. I had already been a volunteer there for a couple of months and I ran um, writing workshops with the with the students. And I did so during school hours, but then also like outside of school hours, they had like volunteer blocks where you could come in. So I came in and I ran writing workshops and I played board games and things like that. And so I had built this really incredible relationship with these students and I thought, oh, great, there's a job opening. I'm going to take that job. It's going to be a seamless transition. I'm going to come in. The students are going to love me. We already have a great relationship. They'll see me as their teacher and they'll be like, oh, this is awesome. We love Kim. Well, I can tell you with confidence that that is not at all what happened. I came in expecting that it was going to be this incredible experience and very freedom writers. And, uh, and sure enough, as soon as the students saw me as a teacher, that was it. They had lost all of that affection and appreciation for me as a volunteer. And it wasn't because I had changed. It wasn't because my demeanor had changed, but my role had changed. And I held 
all of a sudden all of this power and privilege over these students and authority that I didn't have as a volunteer. They could hand something written to me as a volunteer and I would sit there and, and I'd provide you know, um, critique and feedback and we would talk about it together, but there was no mark or grade assigned to it. And as soon as I was doing that in school, they didn't want to hand anything into me. They didn't want to talk to me about school. All of a sudden, I had all of this power where I could write report cards on them, where I could write letters to the judge, where I could write letters to their probation officer. I could have them sent back and, and locked in their rooms for the day if I didn't like their behavior. And there was all of this power that I was now holding that I didn't have as a volunteer. And it started me questioning, what am I really doing there? Am I am I there to, to educate or, or um, am I there to... Like, how am I going to be able to reach these young people and help them see that I'm I'm trustworthy? And the biggest thing is that I had to trust them too. And part of that was, okay, what if I sit there and I acknowledge my power and my privilege to them and I sit them down and I say, look, I see how this has changed. Is that just going to give them permission to completely take advantage of me? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized they had already been taking advantage of me, you know, because I, I wasn't afraid of them so much, but I did want to have that relationship that I'd had when I was the volunteer who was coming in and doing all of this work. And I kept thinking, okay, if I go, if I'm really, really gentle, if I'm really flexible, if I'm really relaxed, if I accept whatever, and, and we're just buddies, like it's good, then they'll trust me again, they'll like me again, and it's not going to be a problem. No, that's not how that worked out. Uh, basically, they just walked all over me and who could blame them? Because it was so easy. And, you know, these are young people who have been confronted with power and privilege and authority their entire lives and have had really negative experiences with authority figures. And so who can blame them when they start to see a way of manipulating the situation in their favor? Why wouldn't they do that? That's just good sense. That's just smart. And these were very smart and very intuitive young people who were very observant and aware. And I was naive in thinking that I had, you know, all of this stuff that I could offer them and not accept that they were actually teaching me so much more. And so finally, I actually just said to them, hey, I, I can see what's changed here. I'm your teacher. I'm not your, your volunteer anymore. And um, how would you guys feel? If, um, if I, if I could guarantee that as long as you guys are respectful and you're not violent, that I'm not going to call anybody and have you sent back, that I'm not going to use that power as a way to get you to behave or to get you to fall in line, that it's okay if you call me out, that it's okay if you're upset with something that I've done, as long as you can do so in a way that, that, um, doesn't jeopardize my safety or the safety of the other students in the class, I can I can work it out with you and I'm not going to send you back and I'm not going to put in your report card that you're quote unquote disobedient or whatever. And it didn't happen right away. I, you know, it wasn't an overnight fix. It, it wasn't all of a sudden this montage where we're getting along and I can see the frustration, but I got through to them and there was light at the end of the tunnel and now we're, you know, buddies and, and everything works out and it just, it wasn't magic like that, but it did shift. And it got to the point where in three years of working at the custody center, I never once had to hit my panic button unless a student for mental health reasons or um, better said, anxiety and trauma related reasons 
had to go back and requested to be sent back, I never once had to send a youth back. And I had colleagues who were hitting their panic buttons, you know, every day or every couple of days. And it doesn't mean that they were doing something, you know, wrong or that they weren't good at their jobs. It just meant that we had a really different approach. And it just meant that uh, I had found an approach that was really working for me and for them. And so, you know, one of the things that I that I did that actually really helped to create a shift, the young people, the, the youth and I at the custody center would play board games. I still came in once a week and did board games with them. And I did that to try to break down that barrier because they'd be brutally honest with me during a game. They didn't care. There were no friends in, in Pictionary, you know? And so they had no problem telling it like it was. But then all of a sudden in the class, if we were playing Pictionary in class, it was totally different. So I could get them to be totally and brutally honest with me during game night. And I started, you know, we were having a lot of fun and it was it was great. And they got along with one another too. And these were kids who would sometimes fight on the unit or whatever. But they were getting along during game night. And, and even if they were having to be separated during other activities, I never really had to separate them during game night. And so I started... Uh, incorporating what I called like our class motto or like even a slogan. Um, And I started at the end of every single game night, I would say to the kids when they'd go back to their, to their units, be safe, be kind, have fun. And it was just to reinforce that, yes, you're in custody. And I'm very aware that your life right now is not as enjoyable as it could be. And there's a lot of things that are holding you back and, and, you're experiencing far more than uh, I can possibly understand. But what I can understand is that we did just have fun together and we had a good time. And it's okay to sometimes allow yourself to experience that even in situations and experiences that are really heavy and not fun. And part of the reason that you're able to have fun in these situations is because we're doing it safely and we're doing it kindly. So It just started to be a slogan, be safe, be kind, have fun. And I wish that I could say that I invented that myself. I didn't. That was actually the motto that we used when I worked in elementary school. And the boys thought it was so funny because I told them flat out that it came from an elementary school slogan and they thought it was so funny. And so, um, you know, it, it ended up just being this cute thing that we'd be able to say. They'd leave and they'd be like, hey, Kim, okay, you know, be safe, be kind, have fun. And I'd be like, you too, buddy. And it was just the thing that we would say and it would unify all of us. And when the line staff would hear it, they'd be like, what? What is that even? What are you saying? And it was just something that really helped to unify our class. And so when the boys would come to our cl- my class, that was unifying for us. So that we knew that in class, we were always going to be safe We may or may not always be kind, but we would do our best and we would always try to find the fun. And there were going to be times when that wasn't possible. There were going to be times when people weren't always kind and we needed to address that in the moment and the times when um, it wasn't going to be fun and it was a really heavy day and it's just fun wasn't on the table. But regardless of what those experiences were, the number one thing that we took away was be safe. And that was the thing that we can always count on when you're in space with me and when you share space with me. And so that's one thing that I just want to kind of leave you guys with. Um, aside from, you know, find out your own territory acknowledgement, find out what territory you're on and and try to incorporate that into an intro for all of your classes. But over and above that, try to think of 
your classes and and the students that are in them and think of a slogan, something or a motto that that helps to unify you as a group, that helps to build that group cohesion that's just yours and make it new every year. Make it new per group that you work with. Um, For example, this year I did a musical with my students and it was a really heavy show with, um, like it was called Runaways. And if you're unfamiliar, it's based on true stories from teens in New York who are struggling with things like substance use, sexual exploitation, addictions, um, homelessness, and uh, child abuse. And so needless to say, it's really heavy. And I don't recommend taking on a show like that unless you feel like you're qualified to address the issues that come up. Because I can promise you there are a lot of issues that come up for young people doing a show like that. But because there were all of these issues that were coming up and and students were feeling um, maybe too connected with some of their characters or too connected with some of the themes that were coming up, I created a slogan that we could all use just as a way to support one another. One of the things that was really challenging was that, you know, there's moments because the show's told in like vignettes and in monologues and in song where there's only really one person needed on stage. And that can feel very alienating and isolating. And so I made sure that at all times, all students were on stage. So, I mean, it was pretty demanding in that way that the cast had to always be on stage. They had to be on for the full two-hour performance. But aside from that, they were able to always be there to support one another. And so one of the things that I really enforced with them is you're always here to support one another. So always remember to love each other. As soon as you're on that stage, love each other. And then what do you do when you're off of that stage? Remember to love each other. And so it ended up being this slogan that started out where the kids were kind of teasing me about it and like, oh, remember to love each other. Oh, love each other. And then it turned into this thing where at the end of every email I got from a student, it would say, rather than sincerely or thank you or whatever the sign off is, it would say, remember to love each other, comma, so-and-so. And they would be posting it in our Google Classroom and they'd be saying, hey, I know so-and-so is having a hard day today. Remember to love each other. And it was a way that everybody together collaboratively knew instinctively if one person was having a hard time, all you have to do is just love each other. Just be there for that person. And it became this really powerful motto that helped get us through a show that was really intense and really heavy. But the students are still doing it. And the show closed in February. And so, you know, they're still really upholding that value of remember to love each other. So I want to leave you on that note. Just think of your classes. Think of what it is that they need and think of what motto or slogan could best reflect who they are and who you are. And that's a big piece of it too. Because like I said before, the best way to approach anything is authentically. Be authentically and wholly yourself, even when it's difficult, Um, even when you're not necessarily you know, sure how to how to move forward or how to approach something. If you're yourself, it's going to make it that much easier to start to build a relationship. Then think, what do the students need? What's a way that I can create that group cohesion that's really important in relationship building? Um, the other thing that you could do, and I haven't I haven't personally done it this way, um, just because I haven't really needed to, but create that slogan with your class. You know, give some examples and say like, this is how I see you as a group, and this is you know, the kind of feel that we want to have, what is a group slogan that you guys think is important? 
what's something that's meaningful and allow your class to develop that with you. Even on the very first day of school, that can be so powerful to start thinking, okay, right now, this is our slogan. Other people in the hallway might have no idea what it means. They might think it's totally bananas or weird. It might sound totally out of context anywhere else, but your students in your class know exactly what that means and they know that it binds them to you and makes them want to be a part of something um, bigger and makes them feel heard and valued and and part of community and that's really important. So um, yeah, I really urge you to think about that. And I'd really love to hear if you guys come up with classroom slogans. I'd really love you to send them to me. Like I said, I have a blog. You can either send me a message through the blog or comment on my podcast or send me an email, whatever way works for you, um, thecontemporaryeducator.com. And please subscribe. Um, Please subscribe to the podcast. Every two weeks, I'm going to be turning out another podcast tip that I think could be helpful for educators looking to build community, build relationship, and address mental health in their classrooms. I hope you guys subscribe, and I hope we can have some really good conversations about how to be a contemporary educator. 